just saying I'd be more ready to believe it's not about my gender if they didn't immediately misgender me. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it, huh? That would help the sales pitch. That it's not about gender, or unless it comes to things like the Rise Grand Championship, then I was only given it because of my gender, even though I had it like a year <laughs> before I came out. Yeah. It's not about gender until it's the reason you got something nice. Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's all of the good things are because of gender, and all of the bad things are nothing to do with gender nothing. ever. That's how it works. Nothing to do with gender, but he, him, he, him, he, he, he. Exactly. I, I only have a career because trans, but also it's not about gender. We just, we're just going to dead name you while we talk about all the things we hate about you in a forum dedicated to it, but it's not about you being trans. It's not about gender. Come we're on just going to coincidentally all dead name you. Come on now. The days and the dates may line up perfectly. <laughs> the perception of, of oneself in the past few months, despite not changing personality-wise, that might be in place and that might be fucking warped, but... I've told this story before, but I, I had my supermarket job before Pogposition for, like, six years. Totally fine, never a complaint, always good as anything. The two weeks after I come out are suddenly, oh, well, complaints from, from, from customers. Oh, we're gonna have to let you go. I was like, I can't prove it was because of the gender, but you never had a problem before, huh? Yeah. I mean, that's how they hide the fucking cowards. They, they do it in that way that you can't prove it. Some of us, however, <laughs> Some of us have exact dates. Yeah. Exact days and dates. And, you know, reasons. And people saying shit. And people saying that it's not about gender before immediately revealing it is. Because <laughs> the thing about transphobia is it's really hard to hide because people love doing it so much. Yeah. People are really bad at being like, look, all, all you have to do is you've got to say it's not about transphobia and end the comment there. You'll probably get away with it. I mean, you won't get away with it. We'll know it's transphobia, but you, you'll be plausibly deniable. But they just can't help the, oh, I'm, I'm not transphobic, but... Yeah. My favourite one was it's not about their gender at all. It's And then they gave one of their stock reasons and immediately followed it up with, also, they look ridiculous now. <laughs> Oh, okay. It's not about that, is it? It's not about gender. It's not about gender, it's just about, you know, the things that come along with gender. Yeah, it's not about gender, except it fucking is, you clowns, and you're not fooling anyone. Fuck me. It's been a week for me. I'll be honest with you, gang. Yeah? It's been a fun... I tell you what, right? Yeah. For a holiday, I cannot <laughs> recommend... Any higher destination than conservative nerddom's outrage <laughs> of the weak island. Oh, oh, trust me. I've been there on a couple of visits. It's, it's not a place that you need to visit more than once. You visit it once and go, yeah, okay, I've, I've seen the sights. <sighs> I've gone several times. It never... Yeah. The sights never get more breathtaking. No, it's the same sights every time. It's like... I mean, I expected a giant mound of shit, but... Ooh, this is a giant mound of shit. God, it really stinks of shit. Yeah. Yeah, people are mad at me. I made the gamers mad. The capital G gamers <laughs> mad. You, you dared suggest that maybe, maybe, 
Republicans are bad for LGBT people. Well, I'm exaggerating, I've been told. Oh, yes. This is the thing about being, like, part of the queer community, is you can point to the literal mountain of evidence that not even the bigots are hiding. Yeah. Like, the bigots are openly reveling. Like, the TERFs who are celebrating being funded by right-wing Christian think tanks. You can point to this. You can point to things Republicans have actually said. You can say... Oh, these people think we're abominations. Here is them saying it from out of their mouths. And they'll still say, you're making it up. You're exaggerating. You're lying. You know what I saw today? I opened Twitter for like two minutes. Worst decision of my day. Uh Uh-oh. The first tweet I saw was someone had shared an article about Hungary Basically introducing its version of Section 28, but for trans people. You cannot tell children trans people exist now in Hungary. Mm -hmm. That is a a crime to tell people, hey child, trans people exist. The first comment underneath it was, I'm sure it's not as bad as it sounds. (laughs) It never is if you're completely unaffected by it. Oh, I've been told I'm a political activist now. Oh, yeah. Friend of the show, Casey Explosion, will definitely appreciate that because she's been called an activist so many times. Yeah. Here's the thing. As soon as you start, you know, acknowledging, hello, I have a minority background of some kind, you automatically become an activist. There is activist and normal. Those are the two types of people. And if you're not normal, you're an activist now. Yeah. So, and and here's the thing, like, before I move on, one other thing. It's not about gender, but the stock reasons they give, like the narrative <laughs> they've been working on, still hinges on... The day and date I came out, I changed. (laughs) It still hinges on, oh, in the past few months. It's almost like people have a really fucked up warped sense of people's identity. And as soon as you acknowledge that you're not cis, people will start layering things onto you that they didn't before. Yeah. It's almost like it's on them. It's almost as if perception shifted. Because... I didn't. I wore a wig and lippy to work. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You are politics now. Your existence is a politic. The quote-unquote best not about genderism I got was, oh, you're losing subs. It's not because of your gender. It's because you keep repeating things like this. And the thing I was repeating was that Ubisoft spent years protecting and promoting abusers of every kind. Huh. So that's why. Oh. It's, it's again, it's my fault for reminding people that Ubisoft suffered nothing and is not being held to account by anyone. And me holding companies to account over and over again, like I've done since the show's inception, uh, is bad now. And again, only in the past few months. Huh. I can excuse a lot of things. A lot of bad takes. Lots of <laughs> fucked up views. But I draw the line at Jim Sterling. Just had to quote that bit again. Ah. Uh, There we are. So it's me, the line. Hello. The spec ops of games criticism. I'm not even in games criticism anymore, to be honest. I hate them. I'm done with it. I'm, I'm for some reason, still here. I don't know why. I watched most of fucking E3. That yeah. was That was a thing I you did. You watched most of it live as well. That's... I watched most of it live, and a lot of it, I just got fucking bored and started oh, Mystery gosh. Science Theatre 3000-ing over interviews. Yeah. That was fun. That was better than listening to people talk <laughs> about them. <laughs> I tried to watch an E3. I tried to watch a bit of it. I thought, right, right, I, I foolishly agreed 
to talk about E3 on Conrad After Dark. <laughs> Going on Conrad After Dark is not a foolish decision. Talking about E3, that was the foolish decision. That was the mistake. <laughs> I mean, we did find ways to talk around E3 more than E3, which was a lot of fun. But yeah, I tried to watch the Square Enix one. After the hour-long Guardians of the Galaxy presentation <laughs> for what, let's be honest, looks like an video game, TM, I got to the second start where they were just interviewing developers, just, you know, engaging in annual E3 autofellatio, and I just thought, I can't fucking do this. Oh, you, you think that one was bad? Oh, there were some bad ones on that official E3 schedule. I bet. Can I tell you about some of the some of the worst ones of this E3? Please. Because there are far too many conferences that do not need to exist that existed at this year's E3. Any of them. Let's start with the, the Coke Media uh, presentation, which is the parent company above Deep Silver, I believe. Yeah. So they used their hour-long presentation to announce a new publishing label, of which none of the teams have actually got games that they're able to announce yet. Oh, okay. So they spent an hour bringing out developers to be like, hello, uh, you're making a game for whatever the fuck our new media publishing brand is. You're not ready to talk about the game, but <laughs> we'll interview you for 15 minutes anyway. Fucking hell. It was an hour of the most dry, dull, batshit, nothing interviews. Mm. Did they have anything to say about Dead Island 2? No! Oh! Not a thing about any Deep Silver game, oh. because they neglected to mention, no, none of the, the existing games you've heard of that you might want updates on, nothing about those. It's just people who have nothing to announce talking for an hour. I think some game they've got. I, I don't. I. It doesn't sound like they talked about it. E3. I think some game they've got is getting some DLC called Hell Raid. Maybe. And that annoys me because they were doing a game called Hell Raid that was like <laughs> a first-person shooter, but like devils and skeletons and things. And I was like, that looks fun. But like everything Deep Silver does, it's a fifty-fifty shot. Maybe not yeah. even that of it coming out now. Yeah. The other one, I quite enjoyed across E3 watching all the the indie presentations. They're usually pretty good. You can find some new stuff. I've played a bunch of stuff from some of those. But there's one I do not recommend watching, which is Indie Expo, which aired a six-hour-long live stream <laughs> to show trailers for 300 games. But it wasn't, you know, 300 games spread evenly across six hours so that you've got maybe 50 an hour. You've got maybe a minute each. No, no, no. You had... Maybe 10 minute stints at a time where they would fit 50 games into maybe 10 minutes. Every game would get like 12 seconds, you'd be on to the next game. Fuck, man. And then they'd spend 50 <laughs> minutes just wittering on. Plus, it was in Japanese and poorly real time translated into English with bad audio balancing, so you could hear the Japanese under the English, and it was very distracting to try and listen to. Yeah. And still somehow in this 300-game presentation, they had time for the only good bit of it, which was a very happy man in a luchador mask drumming along to video game tunes occasionally. He was having a great time. I very much enjoyed when he came on screen. Was he there for the whole six hours? I'd love the idea of him just, like, almost dead by the end, just weakly tapping at the drums. He popped in every, you know, every hour or so, but, like... Good. My favourite part was the presenters who, A, had no idea what the games were until they were on screen and, like, I was giving the stream chat a better summary of these games by just searching their name, clicking on the Steam link and reading the description. Like, they had less information than that about these games. <laughs> oh god, I hate video games. At one point they said my favourite sentence of all of E3, which is, 
Oh, Return of the Obra Dinn. That's like Cluedo, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly like Cluedo. (laughs) Return of the Obra Dinn. It's it's even got a Professor Plum. Yeah. The only other thing you need to know about E3 is that there are, I'm going to say three games that got shown at absolutely every single conference without fail and... I've never hated video games more than these three that showed up every time. Worst of all, the PC Gamer Show and the Future Game Show, both back-to-back, both run by Future Publishing, no pause between them, ran the same three adverts as if they were big exclusive reveals that had happened for the first time, even though I saw them an hour ago. Oh. Which were for Chernobylite. I saw a trailer of that one. I watched a couple of trailers. I saw a trailer for that one. Didn't look all that hot. No, uh, it looks even less hot when you've watched that trailer 12 times in like four days. I bet. Jurassic World Evolution 2 and Two Point Campus. Oh, I saw a trailer for that as well. I did see the Two Point Campus. I was about to say, I don't think I saw any of these, but then you hit Two Point Campus and I did see that one. Yeah. So those three showed up basically everywhere for four days and i i'm sure they're they're fine games i can't fucking stand any of them now this is why we shouldn't have e3 people shouldn't watch it not for any moral or ethical reason although i could name some but just because right here's conrad and i talked a little bit about this on conrad after dark at twitch tv slash that's conrad zimmerman if you're in your 20s don't watch e3 Wake up, do what I do, because you'll be thankful for it, because I wish I'd done it sooner. Wake up in the morning after, you know, a day of E3, watch whatever trailers look interesting to you, and move on, because you will reach your 30s and think, shit, I needed that time to prepare for how shitty things are. You are correct. But also, I did the best Twitch numbers I've done in ages, just getting really fucking pissed off at E3, so I had a good time. I <sighs> did good numbers in my 20s as well, Laura. Yeah. I'm the future! <laughs> Take a look at your ghastly husk of a future, Laura. Hey, hey, it's there, is one, there is at least one moment of E3 this year that, like, look... I, uh, by the end of E3, actually by the start of E3, was, n- was not, was not very hopeful for, you know, like, you know, actually being excited about games. There's one announcement that did make me go, I am suddenly 11 years old reading a gaming magazine in the back of class and had a bit of a thing. Just because it's a name of a thing. I was out doing a thing. I had to go to Voorhees, New Jersey, and I'll fucking tell you about that later. Jesus. Yeah. But I got a message from Phoenix that just said, Laura just screamed. Yeah. So, like, here's the thing. Metroid Dread got announced. There is no way it's the same video game that, like, 15, 20 years ago got announced. But also, that name reminded me of being an angsty teenager who heard thing i like with the word dread next to it and got very excited so i did have a little bit of okay you squeezed one little morsel of excitement out of me for a minute e3 that was totally worth four days of watching live streams i did get a good moment from watching the trailers and that was i would watch e3 for i'd watch it well i'd watch a six hour conference if it was nothing but skatebird <laughs> yeah it was nothing right? but little round little chubby oh. birdies on a skateboard i'm not even good at skateboard games i'm gonna play the 
fuck out of Skatebird. I've played Skatebird before at events. It's a really <gasps> fun game, but it's got some really cool little accessibility features I want to talk about for a second. If you're someone who struggles with uh, multi-button inputs, it's got a bunch of really cool contextual ways to simplify the number of inputs needed, such as trying to speed up your skateboard, you can just hold down the button rather than pressing it multiple times. Uh, you can have... Uh, hold that button down to go automatically from skating into grind rails if you make contact with them. Oh. Lots and lots of just really nice little simplify things down onto shared buttons, contextually. That game looks adorable. I'm very excited for Skatebird. I like Skatebird. I I mean, I, it looks like Tony Hawk with wing flaps. Why wouldn't I like that? Yeah. Exactly. It's got a pink, <laughs> round... That chubby bird, and I love it, and I want to look after it, and I want to feed it noodles. Can birds eat noodles? I hope these ones can, because I've got nothing but bird noodles in the kitchen. I want it. I want it. I hate video games, but I do love skate birds. It's not about gender, by the way, my hating of games. Cooked noodles are a great source of carbohydrates for birds. Fuck yeah! <laughs> oh, God. Investing in that bird noodle company was not a mistake. Oh, hell yeah! Thank God. It's rice you can't give a bird. Yeah. They'll eat that, they'll peck the shit out of that, and then it'll expand in their tummies, and then bird goes blow up. Is that a myth? No, that's true. Yeah, but uh, if I'm honest, Alka-Seltzer works better. <laughs> Duly noted. Uh, should we talk about some things we played this week? Yeah, let me quickly just get the wrestling stuff out the way quick. <gasps> the wrestling stuff? For those who, you know, do follow it, just another quick reminder. June 19th, Saturday night, Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Oh, it starts at 7. We got Laura on with a fucking pre-show, folks. Oh, heck, hell 7 yeah. 7 p.m. Eastern. Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling, Rise Returns, uh, Bell goes at 7.30, pre-show at 7, um, we'll have exciting stuff all through, um, this is the night I get the Rise Grand Championship back, Ziggy is going to hand it over because it's the right thing to do, I'm sure that's how it's going to go down, there may be some... You know, action from yours truly. There will definitely be amazing wrestling. June 19th, 7.30pm Eastern is when the show starts. T floor tickets are now sold out. And my God, do I love saying that after a year. <laughs> um, there are still There is still seating available if you are in or around the Pittsburgh area. Come on by. I'll be hanging about either during intermission or afterwards. Come on by. Love to see you there. Uh, and June 17th, Thursday, well, the day this goes out, uh, 8pm Eastern on the Enjoy Wrestling YouTube channel is the first episode of Canned Heat Season 2, where I make my Enjoy Wrestling debut appearance. And that's that bit. Also, go read Gender Euphoria. It's out now. All the reviews have been really positive. I'm glad everyone's enjoying it. Go check it out. Anyway, video games. We've yes. got some of them. Yes. Some of which I found because I watched E3. <gasps> oh, God, no. That's how they get you, Laura. That's how they get me. I played some video games because of that goddamn E3. It oh. made me be a gamer for a little bit. No. I know. Now you've got to go on the internet and assure everyone that it's not about gender. <laughs> Surprise thing that I played that I did not expect to be any good after watching the presentation for it, because it was a shit trailer for it. Mm -hmm. But it's actually a very good game. Uh, I played the demo for Final Fantasy Origin. Right, what platform is that on? There is a demo on PS5 at the moment. This is the Final Fantasy Dark Souls. Oh, okay. That they're making. It's, it's, it's being done by Team Ninja, of all people, mm. and... Yeah, Tecmo Koei Team Ninja Square Enix gotcha, is, gotcha. I believe, the trio that are making it. So, 
here's my pitch. It's Dark Souls if it had difficulty modes and nicer checkpointing. Oh, I'm not playing it then. <laughs> I've heard that difficulty modes in a Souls like like just kills the game dead and no one can enjoy it. I know. How would someone enjoy a Dark Souls with a difficulty mode? You know what you do? You put it on normal difficulty and it's the difficulty of a Dark Souls. There you go. That's how you do it. Oh, fuck. I think you've just innovated a way to play games, Laura. <laughs> You mean you can just set a difficulty mode and play it? You can just set a difficulty mode and play it and no oh, one will stop Jesus you. Jesus Christ. So at its core, it is a two-button Souls-like game. You've got your, your light attacks on R1, your special attacks on R2. You've got a dodge and you've got a couple of different ways to block and I'll get onto those in a second. R1 attacks, you have no stamina meter for them. They are your general... Fast standard attacks Oh no stamina meter There is a stamina meter But not for attacks Or dodging It's interesting Oh okay Thanks Laura I'm just crediting you With, with what the game does I've decided <laughs> Well <laughs> So thank you for, for no stamina During attacks I like that uh, So you've got A magic meter That controls Your special attacks Let's say you're playing The, the warrior class It'll be for do a big spinny charge up attack okay. uh, that uses up your magic meter. It refills as you do regular attacks. Oh, you, you can get it back without items consumables. Yeah, you, you don't need any consumable items. It just builds back up over gameplay. Yeah. Nice. All of the classes basically work the same way in that R1 is your standard attack. You can do as much as you like. R2 is special in some way. Cool. Um, a good example of that is the, the magic using class. You have a selection of different elemental types. You can either tap to just do a standard cast or hold to do a stronger version of your spell. Brilliant. But what's cool about the, the magic user class is while you're holding down that button, you've got a little less maneuverability, but it recharges your magic quite quick. So you will never not have MP to do magic with. It'll just be a case of you might have to back off and give yourself a second to build oh, it back up. Thanks, mate. Yeah. There are multiple classes available, but at any one time you can have two of them available so that you can sort of mid-combo press a button to switch between them. Mm -hmm. So you can't have all of them on quick select, but you can, in any given fight, hop back and forth between two, which works really nicely. And then we'll get onto the, the blocking mechanics. There's two different kinds of blocks. There is standard weapon block. You can hold it to block all incoming physical damage. Doesn't block magic, but it blocks all all physical damage. Cool. It takes up a stamina meter that recovers by itself over time, so you can't just permanently shield yourself, but it doesn't take too much of that meter up. And then you've got your fancy block, which is a magical-based one, which will block all incoming magic and physical damage, but it functions like a parry. You have to time it right. You can't oh, hold it down. That is interesting. If you time it poorly, you leave yourself open to taking damage. I'm terrible at parrying in anything. Me too. You don't have to do it. You can entirely rely on your block button and your dodge as I yeah. tend to do in a Dark Souls but if you are good at parrying it gives you an opening for a follow-up attack it gotcha. gives you a little extra magic meter it gives you a bunch of rewards if you can do it that way. Oh shit. Did they say Garland? I'm just looking at the trailer as you talk to follow along. It is. Because I guessed from the name it might be but then I looked at the trailer and was like these look like no one I recognise. My, my understanding is it's it's a retelling of the, the, the first one but in Dark Soulsy form. That's neat. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a neat idea. It's certainly not without flaws. And the biggest thing is 
this group of characters is the most bland, generic fucking set of protagonists I've ever fucking heard of. That was my initial disappointment looking at this trailer. I'm like, who's this bunch of goofs? I mean, specifically Final Fantasy 1. Like, there's just not much there. But then this would be an opportunity to put much there. You'd think. They're not even, like, fun, exaggerated archetypes. They're, they're just nothing. Yeah. And it's it's a little bit you're a twelve year old trying to be angsty in terms of like the uh, colour palette and some of the like the dialogue barks. I tell you what, right, just because you're doing a Dark Souls like style game doesn't mean it has to be dark. Yeah. Hmm. Hang on a second. It's right there in the name. Oh, God. Well, they're called Souls-likes, not Darks-likes. Oh, all right, fair. Like, give me something that looks like Final Fantasy IX, but I want it to be a hardcore, violent Souls-like. I would shit, and I mean that literally, I would shit out of my winking spice hole. Um... <laughs> So yeah, mechanically, fantastic demo. All right. Other differences from Dark Souls, you don't lose your, your leveling up and your experience upon death. You lose your progress, you go back to the last bonfire, but that's, that's it for losses. Oh, just like video games. Yeah. Okay. It is a more forgiving in terms of progress game that feels like a Dark Souls. That whole dropping stuff where you die when dead, is a, it's, a, it's a neat gimmick. I like it, actually. Yeah. But at the same time, not every game has to have it. It's sometimes nice to play a game with these kind of tough combat mechanics about spacing and getting your hits in, where if you die, you don't go, oh, fuck, I've lost a bunch of progress. See, yeah, I did not expect this to be as competent of a Souls-like as it is, and it's not doing all of the Souls things just because Souls does them. Yeah. The trailer didn't do anything for me, but playing the game itself has really sold me that I want to play this. Yeah, the trailer looks... Boring. I mean, I like the bit where he stood on a head and then made the head crystals. Oh, yeah, that's... I forgot to mention, that's the, that's the Team Ninja bit of this. If you get an enemy <laughs> down to down to low health and you're in melee range, you can do a slightly fancy finisher for the last bit of health if you're close enough. I'm into that. I like finishers. Thanks, Laura. I've, I've made a wonderful game here, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm very grateful. Uh, what, what about you both? What have you played this week? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can keep talking if you want. I've played more more shit. Yeah, tell us something else you've played. There's a new demo for a game called Tunic. Okay. Which is a little top-down Zelda-y kind of game where you play as a little cartoon fox. It's adorable. The visual style is oh, really lovely. I remember a trailer for Tunic quite some time ago. Yeah, it sounds familiar. I believe it's finally coming out this August, if I remember right, but there's a demo on uh, on the Xbox consoles at the moment. It plays really nicely. Some things I didn't know going in, it is essentially a wordless game. You will sometimes interact with, like, signposts and things, and they will have a made-up language on them, and you sort of just have to intuit from context what they mean, and it's never particularly complicated, but you'll sometimes be like, gibberish, skull sign some more gibberish. Ooh, probably a bit dangerous over that way. Huh. It's got a really nice, satisfying dodge roll, which makes the combat of something that is basically, you know, one of those old Zelda games. There's a lot more to it when you can you can dodge roll out the way. It's got nice invincibility frames on it. Visually gorgeous game, tougher than I anticipated. With the cute little fox character, I was not bracing myself to have my ass kicked as much as I did. It again does the Dark Soulsy thing of 
here are checkpoints that they'll heal you, you'll come back to here. If you rest up here to heal yourself, all the enemies will come back. You drop some resources on death, it does a little bit of that. Yeah. It's very mechanically simple, you basically just have, or at least as far as I am currently, dodge and attack are your only real buttons. But it plays really nicely, it's a very, very visually cute game, nice amount of challenge to it. Where's the demo? Uh, it is on, on the Xbox store at the moment. If you search Tunic on the Xbox store, it should come up with Tunic demo. Uh, I mean, oh God, I'd have to plug it in. You have to plug an Xbox in. Ooh. I'd have to plug it oh, in. No. Yeah, it, it's one thing I will say Xbox has done really well this E3, is that a bunch of the interesting looking indie games that got like shown at the various indie conferences, Xbox were like, yeah, put a demo up. We'll we'll give it some promotion. Microsoft has a nice little indie boner. I like it. I appreciate yeah, it. It's nice that they're giving some some promotion to some of those indies. Yeah. I appreciate very little about Microsoft, but they do they do give a nice little showcase to indie stuff. Yeah. Are either of you ready to talk about something you've played or shall I keep going for a bit? I've got bad news first. Yeah. Pennsylvania bars can't do cocktails to go anymore. Oh no. Everything's back to normal, they've decided. So outdoor dining, fuck that off now. And uh cocktails to go. And I only dis- I only just discovered the joy of that. I only just discovered the joy of having a, a pop rocket while wandering down the street. <laughs> it was fucking brilliant. Look at me drinking on the street. I'm doing it to be responsible. Hell yeah! That's it. It's res- <laughs> it's re- it still is responsible drinking. Me and Big Calix, cocktails in hand, go into the ice cream van. <laughs> what a good day! Fucking hell! Pre-pandemic cocktails to go now i want them i've never wanted them more you know this this is clearly an accessibility requirement and we should not roll it back let people drink on the street it's not harming anyone especially a street that is nothing but bars and people drunk what are you adding to it by putting cocktails in a plastic cup what are you adding Oh. oh, it was... I mean, I didn't care for the one in a bag. So what, what video game did you play? Oh, well, I played Ratchet and Clank 5. Yeah? Yeah. 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 Um, it's good. Yeah. It's good. You know, it looks nice, obviously. Uh, clearly some of the visuals and, and little sequences are tech demo-y, but the game itself doesn't feel just like a tech demo, which is good. Yeah. You know, you can look at the bits where they're shamelessly saying, oh, look what we've done with graphics, but they're inoffensive and genuinely impressive and c- quite fun. You know, the first big one, I would say, is where you're... The first grind rail. Yeah. Where you're grinding through the uh, the city and it's raining and there's neon lights and Blade Runner cars and everything everywhere and it looks great. Well, I guess the first one is the whole intro sequence with the parade. Yeah, but that's very sort of... It, it feels more scripted, that section. Yeah. But it feels a little more open when you're going through that city. But that moment is like, I'm thinking, yeah, it's a bit cynical, but... God, it looks good and is kind of like all of their grind rail sections, especially some of the later ones where there's a lot of jumping and wall running and grabbing of, of swingy things. It's, they're real good. Yeah. The gameplay is real satisfying. It is, I mean, it feels very like ratchet and clank. And I've said before that feels weird. It doesn't feel so weird here, actually. It's, there's, I think the more, the maneuverability is so good. Like, you can dodge and you've got magic roller skates. Oh, those magic roller skates alongside the, the, the dash in midair and the wall run and the swinging off things. I just felt like I constantly 
had much better control of where I was in that game. And the teleporting, I must say, I, I never got bored of the effect of yeah. rather than zooming from one point to another, dragging the point to you. On on its surface, it's not an effect that makes you go, whoa, this is play without limits. But it's more like, oh, this is fun. But it feels really fun. It's just not, not been done that way before. And it's a slight twist that makes it more exciting. It's using what that comes so can do to just be fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, being able to go into these little rifts is cute without your loading, you know, you just walk into a new area. I, I'll say there's one level that the loading, I think, impressed me most on, which is that planet where there's the crystals you can hit and it pops you back and forth between the two versions of the world. Like, that's one of those, like, oh, that's a very big environment you've, you've popped me between. My one issue with a lot of that stuff is it doesn't really feel like you're going to different dimensions. It, it feels more like, and there have been other games that have done this, like Titanfall 2, it feels like you're going between a future and past version, where one is just dead and desolate, and the other has some life in it. What I would have liked from a game about dimensional rifts is the feeling like I'm in a completely different version of the same world. But the enemies are basically the same, because they've just been pulled from the same source. And this isn't... A massive criticism. It's more something I would have liked to have seen. It's not until near the end that you get alternate universe versions of some of the enemies you've been fighting. And even then, it's a real straightforward, simplified sort of alternate version. Yeah. Um, and I would have liked just a bit more of this feeling like, it's Ratchet and Clank, but here's loads of different versions of the shit. Yeah, like, there are definitely some places where it could have done more with its gimmick, but... What is there is a definite step forward for Ratchet and Clank. It's a very good game. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's a very fun game. Yeah. You know, in terms of writing and humour, it's Ratchet and Clank. It's never that the lines are funny so much as people are doing funny voices when they say them. Which doesn't necessarily make me laugh, but I, I mean, I, I will still watch Doctor Nefarious being camp, like, all day long. The exaggerated vocal delivery is usually enough for me to go... Yeah, I'm getting I'm I'm getting Saturday morning cartoon vibes here. I'm having an yeah. alright time. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, younger audiences probably really like that, and I find it relatively inoffensive. It's not one of these games that, you know, tries to be too far to be wacky and hilarious all the time. It's just very lighthearted and that's that's fine. It's great to play big, bright, colourful games, of course. Yeah. You don't get enough of it, even now. The weapons are all cool and I like that they brought back some of the ones like the Doomfist. <laughs> yes. um, they've actually brought quite a few things into the point where, like, you can just let an army fight for you, mostly. Because you've got the mushroom people. And I love that kind of stuff. I like, like, mm. characters that do summoning or have turrets or things. Yeah, you've got them. You've got the, the sprinklers that will sort of automate doing stuff. They're fun. Yeah, just, like, covering enemies in grass and freezing them like topiaries. That's an interesting weapon gimmick. I feel like... By being so colourful, you can do a lot more interesting stuff visually with a game like this when you're trying to make, like, hey, yeah. here's our big shiny thing for the next gen. And yeah. Colourful just helps make that work. Just, like, grass and flowers popping up everywhere in the middle of the fight. It's, yeah, it's real good. Yeah. I like the game. I've, I'm just, I'm right near the end of it. I'm right near the end. I'm uh, going to finish it, probably do a video on it, of course. But yeah. It's nice to play a PS5 game. 
And when I say that, I mean not just a game on the PS5 or ostensibly a launch title. It's a PS5 game. It's nice to play a game and go, yeah, I can reasonably see why you couldn't have done this on PS4. Yes. You've You've done some stuff here that makes me see... This is a game you made for this new hardware. And that was another thing with this E3, was showing that pretty much everything is still coming to last-gen consoles. I mean, they probably wouldn't have done that if people could buy the fucking things. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons. Semiconductor shortages are a big part of it at the moment. There's a lot of reasons why the availability isn't there, but... And and some of that was going to be hard to forecast. A lot of wheels were already in mo- in motion. But I can't help but think somebody could have looked at this and said, you know what, we're having trouble with production. Maybe we shouldn't launch. I mean, maybe it was just too late. The wheels of capitalism stop for no one. Mm. Once Once they've committed, I guess they had to. Once you've told an investor you will have money on this day, you can't say, actually, you'll have it later. Like, I still think it's absolutely wild that they released them. Mm-hmm. But... They did. And they've made money off them, you know, we can't forget that. Sure, they're selling units. Everyone who already had, like, vast amounts of wealth before the pandemic did seem to make more over the past uh, year and change. That's also very curious. Very weird. I didn't make more. I saw the figures that showed, like, the amount of money that the, like, American public lost Mm -hmm. was the amount of money that several billionaires made. It's almost like that money very tangibly floated upward. Yeah, it's like wealth transfer is a thing. It may be like trickle economics is a real thing, but the direction was uh, a little off. More like salmon economics. Yeah. Yeah. Ratchet and Clank's fun, though. Oh, yeah, not to get too political, I don't want to be accused of being an activist. (laughs) Ooh. Comrade, you played anything this week? Yeah, yeah, I played. Uh, I played video game. Oh, good, Laura. What did you play? Singular video game. Um, you played one. <laughs> I played one, but I'm very upset <gasps> because somehow I was not like told, and I don't understand. Like, did I do something to people to make them think that I shouldn't be informed immediately when there's a new, a new Earth Defense Force game? Ah. <laughs> uh... You're almost selling me on this. We've got to be on a train on Friday and I need content because otherwise I'll have to be alone with my thoughts and I don't want that. Um, you are selling me on this. The visuals did sell me. It's a little 8-bit hero looking. It's, it's voxel-based. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. And that applies to everything is voxel-based. And that there's a huge tonal shift. That exists, and you can see it immediately in the visuals, sure, because they're, you know, voxel cartoony, it's very bright colors as opposed to, you know, the urban environments, the quote-unquote realistic-looking insects, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Defeat giant insects. That's what they're all uniformly called in the... It's the, it's the only bit of EDF I like. I've wanted to like that series so much. And there's plenty of reasons not to, because it is incredibly rough. The camera in it has perpetually been a problem. Um, the enemy swarms are, you know, they're of a size that it's overwhelming very, very quickly. Yeah, like, I feel like the ants should be more satisfying to blow apart than they are. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that this makes them more satisfying to blow apart, but it is more manageable. The camera's a lot better. Your character size being smaller contributes a lot. 
And that's very positive. But beyond that, in terms of tone, the music is all bright and cheery and energetic Mm. and not like imperialistic or, you know, uh, a military type arrangement. It's bright and it feels happy. Interesting. And then structurally, in terms of gameplay, you have a lot of the same stuff you had before. You have giant insects, robots, things that you destroy in these city environments. But it's just better now. In the past, buildings would destroy when you shot them with rockets and things like that. And it was very funny to watch them completely crumble down. But now you can blow holes in them. And that's really cool. And you can climb into those holes and hide out for a minute and get your breath and reload or something. I love crawling into holes. Right? Who doesn't love crawling into a hole? Right. What one's this one called again? This is called Earth Defense Force World Brothers. Gotcha. I see the one. It also is trying to tell a story beyond aliens came and attacked and we're defending. Fuck, right. Right. You choose different characters. Oh. Oh. So this is, you know, an aspect of the series that's been around for a long time, that you have different unit types that you can select from to uh, play, and each have different strengths and weaknesses. They can equip different weapons. Some of them fly. Some of them fly. And... This game is all about those characters. You get to, instead of just control one character and you might be playing with a squad, you get access to switch between at will four characters, each with a different ability. Uh, you get to pick the team and arrange it however you want. And every mission you go on has three characters in it that you can rescue. <gasps> Thanks, mate. And if you get one that's new, cool. They're added to your roster. If you get one that you got before, it levels them. Oh, sweet. And they're like, are they like random in them or? They are random in them. Okay. So there's a little sort of collecty element. I like that. A little collecty element to it. Uh, each unit type has like three different varieties to it. Yeah. That I, I don't know that they make a whole lot of difference except like at their base level, they might have more health. Right. Whatever. I don't want to alarm anyone, Mm. but I'm looking at a particular screenshot of it, and I see an astronaut and a bear. Oh, yeah, the characters are fucking wild in range. There's lots of, you know, characters dressed in fursuits, basically. Yeah, bear man. There's a a bunch of um, internationally representative units, because the whole game is sort of, uh, the, the plot is that the world has been broken apart. By the arrival of these motherships, and you have to drive them off to bring the world back together. It's a metaphor, you see. Right. Right? But it does a really fun job at points of, in the missions midway, there will be conversations going on that are like, hey, wait a minute, we are really all in this together, you know. One of the missions revolves around trying to find um, ingredients for miso soup. What? Yeah. and. Tofu, you're hunting for tofu, (laughs) you know, and there's a team out looking for tofu to help you. Yeah. You know, and what you're really doing is just like killing ants and whatever, and who cares? But the (laughs) conversation that's going on suddenly shifts to global supply chain and how only a fourth of the soybeans consumed in Japan are produced in Japan. And the rest come from the United States and Brazil and other places. I wish I was in the room when you saw that, Conrad. Right? I bet your reaction was brilliant. Yes! Because, you know, <laughs> they're explaining to this Japanese character who's, you know, all excited about miso soup, but not really interested in joining the conflict that, hey, wait a minute. 
we're all here and without us. You can't have miso soup. Of course. So I, there's a lot I really, really love about this. An anti-isolationist message with giant ants. I'm into it. Yeah. Also, this fucking one has a maid costume on. Uh-huh. There are maids. I'm in. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole uh, mission set around going to uh, Akihabara to oh. uh, rescue them. Oh. It's just super fun. It's charming as hell. I imagine arachnophobes would have a way better time with this one as well. Like, I'm seeing spiders, but they, they're all blocky and cute. Yes, they are very blocky. Um, the insects are less insecty, but they are still pretty clearly insects. And if that yeah. does squig you out, yeah, it's probably not going to be helpful too much. I uh, showed it to Linda, yeah. who does Conrad After Dark with me, and, and she was just like, yeah, I don't think I could play this. Okay. I've got mild fear of spiders, but like, it's more of the, I can abide knowing one is around. Right. I just don't want it near me at all. The spiders historically, I should say, in Earth Defense Force are some of the most annoying fucking enemies. Oh, God, yeah. Because they have a pretty great range. They bounce around a lot, and their attacks clip through buildings and all sorts of shit in those yeah. games because they're so jank. Yeah. And, and it's real easy to get piled on quick and killed by them. They're a lot better here. Um, they're much more manageable, like all the enemy types are. They're much more manageable here. You're selling me. I'm going to get it on Switch, I reckon. It's really good fun. It's really good fun. I, I think that if you have had an interest in Earth Defense Force previously, but weren't sold on it because of the many, many problems that that game has just in terms of polish, you will find this a much better experience. Right. Yeah, I've got, you know, I've got a litany of issues. I always forget exactly what they are until I play a new one. And then I'm like, oh, God, this is why. This is why I don't want to play more than an hour of these things. I will say, if one of your issues is a lot of repetitive NPC character dialogue, you're shit out of luck there, because that's still very, very present. That annoys me in many games, but it won't turn me off. Yeah, and it really, if the power's in your hand to change that, swap your team around. Oh. You know, experiment with some other characters, because everybody has a stock of, like, five, six lines. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I've played Dynasty Warriors. Sure. I'm fine with that. I defeated an officer. Did you, love? Mm-hmm. Did you, my friend? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's one of the reasons people always assume I'm going to like these games, is because I like Dynasty Warriors. And I always assume I'm going to like it, because I like Dynasty Warriors. And I'm always wrong. But it's an astronaut and a bear and a maid. Yep. Yep. It's pretty out there. It's it's a lot of fun. I like it. I I think you should check it out. Now, the, the other thing that I don't like about it is that it has a shit ton of DLC. And this is something that uh, they do as a company with this series, have for a while. It's D3, isn't it? Uh, D3 publishes. They love that shit. Yep. And it's developed by Ukes. I mean, there is as much DLC in terms of, like, MSRP as the base game, which is a $60 base game. Yeah, according to Steam, all of it is $67.81. They're all three bucks each. Yep. And it's it's all characters, you know, and they'll have different configurations of special abilities and weapon access. And I'm not crazy about it. It's not something I'm going to participate in. Yeah. I mean, at least I will say it's proper DLC. It is proper DLC. But, you know, I only say that with the acknowledgement that 
goalposts were moved by other companies pushing the envelope. And this is also like, this is the first $60 Earth Defense Force. Yeah, if it wasn't $60, maybe some of this DLC would be a bit more palatable. Right. You know, and that's that's a thing. Historically, they've been, you know, I think the more recent ones have been edging on $40, mm-hmm. um, which in the context of modern AAA is a budget title. The first Earth Defense Force I bought was on 360 for 20 bucks. Yeah. You know? Oh, wait! Three bucks and you get one character. They should be a buck each. Well, they should be in the game, but if they're selling them piecemeal, they should be a buck each. That'd make this all cheaper. I don't, I'm not crazy about it. None of it feels necessary to me to purchase, but none of it ever does. So that's where I'm at with it, but I'm sure there will be people who'll be like, oh, that looks cool and I want to buy that. And, and I think three bucks is is too much. Yeah. I literally have mental disorders that make me see these things and want them. I have to be careful. Yeah, exactly. I I do think that in terms of reflecting the just general polish of this game compared to prior EDF games, I can see why they'd charge the $60 price tag. Gotcha. Um, And why they'd finally feel like, because this actually feels like a fully realized product for the first time. Well, that's nice. Yeah. I would... Why is the... O- fucking Oni Chambra characters DLC. Oh, you can swing for it. I really want it. Mm. Oni Chambra's a ridiculous fucking series. Oh, God, it is. <laughs> I didn't know that was in there, and now I kind of want it. Right? You can get Aya or Saki. Oh. Right, they, you'd need to spend $6 for both of them, though. It should be $2. I mean, it should be in the base game, but it if they're selling the them piecemeal, it should be $2 to get Aya the Calm Big Sister Swordswoman and Saki the Crazed Little Sister Swordswoman. Come on. Come on. Fuck me. Laura, are you playing anything else? I played a couple of other things. I can have a, a quick a quick run through before we okay. get to the news. Heck yeah. I started playing a game on Switch called Umarangi Generation. It is a photography game that has like a very sort of colourful... PS1 cyberpunk aesthetic to it. Very visually interesting. Lots of really nice ways to sort of tweak your photos for taking your shots. It starts off pretty, pretty simple. Not great tutorial, but basically, here's a little environment you've been dropped in. Here's a list of things to photograph. It's about working out where in the environment to place yourself so you can, you can take the shot that's going to have that thing. So it might be like, okay, get a photo of seven birds. Okay, I can see seven birds. Where can I go to get a picture that's going to have them all in? And then, without saying too much, You continue to go through environments photographing things and start exploring what appears to be a narrative about military occupations and surviving through pandemic events and colonialism and growing up under the shadow of the fact that the world is kind of fucked and that humanity is the reason for that a little bit. But all through the lens of like teens taking shitty pictures together like, ha ha ha, here we're taking some photos together after school, and, and there's just the big mysterious wall that no one talks about that the UN put up. It's a real interesting little game that does not do a very good job at all of explaining its mechanics when you get started, but there's a really interesting narrative told through the lens of teenagers just trying to be teenagers through a world that has undergone some pretty radical shifts around them. All right. If you are someone that enjoys a good photography-based video game, this one has a 
real fucking interesting narrative, and I'm super curious where it's going. Very interesting. The name again was? Umarangi Generation. Umarangi Generation. Yeah. Hmm. It's currently on, on Switch, and it is, is real interesting. I played a little bit of uh, a game called Going Under. Well, Batman won't like that one. Oh, well, uh, well, no hero will like that one. No. Oh, no. I don't know. In my experience, <laughs> you are treated very much like a hero, <laughs> given the circumstances and what their boyfriend's like. Oh. So Going Under is a roguelike where you play as an intern in a startup, having to go fight monsters down in the basement. Ho ho! You have my fucking attention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's the narrative is light-hearted, poking some comedy at the terribleness of startup culture and capitalism and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But the gameplay... It's a roguelike where you are largely finding the weapons you're going to use for the run as you go down through these what are implied to be basement floors of this startup. So it might be literally anything you see in the environment uh, under a certain size is something you can pick up. So it might be like, okay, I'm going to pick up that mug and I'm going to I'm going to use a mug for very short range melee attacks until it breaks. Maybe I'll use a keyboard next. You'll find better stuff as you go along, but the gimmick is if you don't have a weapon right now, what can you find to hand that might be funny to beat people up with? Okay. Yeah, it does a lot of the, the, the tropes that you would expect out of a, this kind of roguelike in that you've got like, okay, once a floor, you're going to get your upgrade room that'll give you something like, oh, now you've got a big spinning blade around you where you recover some health every time you kill something or something like that. Yeah. There's a boss every X number of floors. It's kind of, it, it follows the formula. Mm -hmm. But basically, the, the further down you manage to go, the more you'll start getting fed plot about this terrible, terrible startup CEO company uh, that you're in. Like, the first one you do is... I forget what it's called. It's it's a sparkling water slash meal replacement company. <laughs> trying to make sparkling waters that are meal replacements. So someone stole our, our idea. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> Basically. Wow. I feel thieved from... This isn't Hades or anything. It's not the most responsive, fast-paced roguelike out there. No, it's fist shark marking, and if I believed in intellectual property ownership... <laughs> yeah. God, the amount of money we've lost because Conrad doesn't believe in intellectual property ownership. It's true. Yeah. It's it's hard to go it alone when half the creative <laughs> process is like, mm, it's theirs. It <laughs> it's ours, but it's theirs. Um, but yeah, it is a light-hearted... Silly roguelike that I have had. I've had some fun with. It's it's cool. it's been a nice little diversion into a different roguelike for a bit. Yeah. But there's a couple of other demos I started playing, and the demos were either just like too short for me to get a proper feel for the game, or I haven't had enough time to really work out what I think about. There's a very cute looking game that keeps showing up at E3 called Button City. Is it a sequel to Button Moon? It's not a sequel to Button Moon. Ah. It's about a bunch of little animal characters trying to save their local arcade from going under by finding money however they can. Oh yeah, waste of time and money. It's a dead business model, gang. That seems fun, but the demo is like painfully short. It really uh. didn't give me enough time to work out if I liked it or not. The main thing that I did play that I'm 
really fucking into is there is a um a game that was on Kickstarter a little while ago called Unbeatable. Mm-hmm. It is a music rhythm game. Currently, there's a there's a pretty sizable demo for it up on Steam. It is a two button music rhythm game. The only buttons you have to use during the songs are down to hit notes that are at the bottom of the screen, and one of the face buttons to hit notes that are at the top of the screen. It's it's down on the D-pad or I've been doing up on the on the face buttons, down and Y. Uh, and you might have to do both at the same time. But it is a very, very, very stripped back um, music rhythm game. But I think they've been able to do a lot of really interesting stuff mechanically as a result of that. It reminds me a lot of Dive Kick in that by drastically limiting your number of inputs, they're able to be a lot more precise about what they expect out of you from those inputs. Mm-hmm. I like games that play with... What more can we do with very simple stuff yes. rather yeah. than let's throw loads of complicated stuff? Dive Kick is one of the very, very, very few fighting games I've been able to play because it's so much more about like psychology. Yeah, this reminded me a lot of Dive Kick. And that I, I mean that as, a, as as much of a compliment as I can. It does things like, if you're playing, say, a Guitar Hero or something, usually you'll have a percentage meter that will be the percentage of notes that you hit. Here, it is much more focused on what percentage of the theoretical max score did you hit? Because if you hit that note, but you hit it with a great, not a perfect, your percent's going to drop down a little bit because, you know, there's only two buttons. All, all the, it, it is focusing much more on... How well are you getting those timings? Very interesting. Yeah, it is a gorgeous looking game, very colourful, all-female cast, nice VHS aesthetic overlay over it. I love the way it handles narrative in that it's got little short bits of narrative that are all delivered through the lens of what was the character going through when they made this piece of music. And a lot of it so far seems to basically boil down to, oh, you've got ADHD and you might be trans. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Slightly relatable. Yeah, a lot of the tracks boil down to like, oh yeah, this is that song that I wrote when I, I tried to I tried to learn a new thing, but then I, I I wasn't getting good enough at it fast enough, and then I just said fuck it. But I was having a good time with it. But it wasn't keeping my attention because I wasn't instantly perfect at it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, mm, yeah, okay. This is why I don't do anything thing anymore i'll music rhythm to a song about that sure mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah go check out the demo it's real fun it's real cute that demo got me real hooked i'm excited for this game to come out <laughs> adhd's a joke i fucking i can't t- I, I joke about it but i literally can't tell you what i did before we you know like this morning but last saturday i learned how to do an irish whip and i could tell you every step right arm to left hand from your right hand, step forward, step back with your right, step or hop back with your left, turn, plant your right foot as they come past, pushing them with your hand. Plant, hand out. I could do that now, like just off the top of my head, but I can't tell you what I did this morning. <laughs> I'll put something down and immediately it will have disappeared. Like, it will just be gone from reality. Reality seems made up. I don't believe it's a real constant that exists. Literally every item of clothing I want to wear on a given day will be the item of clothing gone. Have we got any other games, or should we talk about newsy stuff for a minute? I went up the arcade. Oh, tell us about the arcade. What did you do at the arcade? I went up the arcade, and I'll say this much. I was making use of the hand sanitizer. 
I did my part. Now, I went up the arcade a bit, uh, lost mid credit card of course oh, no. um i was so busy concentrating on making sure i had my little arcade cards that you swipe to use the machines that i lost the cards i need to spend money yeah okay so i went up the arcade um i was with kimberly spirit ah. my best friend in the whole wide world she's still a bit salty about the choke slam uh, she gave me a giant wooden fish uh, that she plundered from her old work, I think it was. Um, so I've got a giant, it might be a barracuda. Um, it's fucking massive. And don't worry, it will be on the gym position. I mean, the moment I saw it, I was like, well, there's an intro. I literally don't have to think when I've got a camera on next time. Um, and I gave her a, a picture I've got framed of the three original ghost Pokemon because she loves ghost Pokemon. Oh, I saw that. It was lovely. Yeah. Had to go up, get a passport sorted out. Went in the worst mall in America. Uh, you can't... Right. A can of Coke is the easiest thing in America to buy. Pretty much. Yeah. You can't move for the bastards. It's the only thing easier to acquire in this country is debt. And a gun. And a gun. Debt and a gun. <laughs> that's called... That's the freedom package right there. There are... No shops, because it's a mall in 2021 current year argument. There is one department store that's operating. There's no drinking in there. There's no, like, little cooler or anything. You get a bottle of Coke. Nah. I was waiting to be, because Katie was going to swing by there, then we were going to go do stuff. Vending machine, empty, just gone. And then another one gone. And I can't explain how in that moment, like how angry I was at being in a bad mall. Even the creepy Silent Hill mall in Mississippi that like literally has like women walking around crying in it. At least that had one, one little hovel that sold food and drink. I didn't go near it, of course. Well, no, you get poisoned. No, obviously. It only had that and a DMV. Uh, and that was it. But it was better than this one. The gas station didn't have any either. That area was, that was the one bit of the cooler that was empty. So I got a blue Pepsi. Have you ever had one of those? No, I don't think I've had the blue Pepsi. Don't. I've had a blue Pepsi. Yeah, it's like they mixed like a blueberry panda pop with actual Pepsi. It's disgusting. Yeah. Uh, leaving it in the car in the sun did nothing for its flight. I thought it was all right. Well, I mean, you're in England. It was probably made with some real ingredients. But yeah, so that complaining out the way went to the arcade. Didn't have time to play anything until people got hungry. Justin, because Ju Justin knew Kimberly Spirit before I did, but hadn't met her. I choke slammed her before he met her, and he's known her since like 2012. <laughs> so he swung by with Amanda, our mutual friend from Mississippi, who moved up here shortly after we did. Hung around in the arcade for a moment, then went to get ramen, and the GPS sent us just all around town instead of around the corner from the mall. Ate ramen, came back, finally played some, you guessed it, fucking pinball. <laughs> What'd they have? They had Black Knight. An original IP. That was pretty cool. It had a little black, like a little plastic Black Knight toy. Mm -hmm, that's a good one. Rolling a, a mace and a shield. Ball straight down the middle. It was fun. Let's do that one again. They had Monsters. Didn't get around to that one. Looked fun. They had Star Wars. Mm -hmm. That one was it's got a Death Star that lights up. That's cute. Yeah, it's all right. Iron Maiden. That one I did enjoy. I'm not, it's like with Crew Ball. I'm not right. like a big Iron Maiden listener, but it was a real fun table. 
Um, plus, I lasted the longest on that one, so it was automatically the fairest one, I've decided. <laughs> now, while I was sampling these three machines, Justin, the little fucker, swiped the Guardians of the Galaxy pinball machine once. By the time I was done, he was still playing it, the little fucker. <laughs> One swipe. I swiped three. <laughs> the ball went down the middle several times while I was watching him, and the fucker bounced back up. Mm -hmm. He got game over more than once, but it just started another game for free, and by the end of it, he was crying, I want to let go, I want to go, but I can't. <laughs> Machine just fucking rigged, it's cursed. He was a pinball prisoner. They just really want you to play it, so desperately, Please, someone... nobody's coming into play. Why did no pinball machine do that for me? So I went and shot Xenomorphs till I felt better. And then my feet hurt from walking to ramen, so we went home. But yeah, they had Aliens Armageddon, which is the follow-up uh, light gun shooter game to Aliens Extermination, which I uh, used to play, or was it Extinction? One of the two. Um, I used to play that one a lot. And, and this one was the follow-up, kind of a bit cell-shaded aliens shooter. Like, you know, House of the Dead with Xenomorphs. That was fun. And they've got two. I haven't done it. I'll have to do it when I get back there again. They had two of the 4D Dark Escape machines. <gasps> Ooh. Those things are fucking great. Um, Conrad, have you ever seen one of them or been in one? I don't think so. Oh, they're so good. So it's like one of them ones that you sit inside like a box. Right. And, oh, I, I wish I'd fucking gotten around to doing it while I was there. And you go in, and I played one in Atlanta once. You sit on the chair, there's a screen. It's 3D, and pop little glasses on. It's got the light gun, House of the Dead style. The chair rattles, surround sound, and it blows air in your face. Mm, okay, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. I feel like there was one of those that was Resident Evil themed at some point um, that... On my trip to Japan for Tokyo Game Show. Ooh, made it, maybe. We checked that out at, uh, at an arcade. And th that, those features are fucking weird and fun. And I'm, I'm glad to see that happening. The machine's really good. It's got a monster, like, bursting out with a glowy red eye. I love arcade machines. Can I tell you my favorite thing about that arcade machine? Hell yeah. Um, it's got some logos on it. It says, a shock to your five senses. These are the five senses, apparently. <laughs> 3D. Yep. Vibration. Air. Surround sound. And panic sensor. Oh, hell yeah. The famous five human senses. Oh, I mean, my vibration sense is, like, really highly attuned. Well, it's, it's interesting because they very, very closely managed to get most of those to correlate to actual human senses, but... Whew. Yeah. There's a lack of taste. When, when will I taste the dark escape? Oh, that's the air. I mean, it looks like it is. There's a little diagram for the air, and it looks like someone getting farted on their face. It's just <laughs> a face with a stink cloud coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Why isn't Jonathan in an arcade oh. machine that farts in his face? I can't wait till the next Boston's Favourite Son. I mean, I've got pinball ideas for him. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, arcades would have a ball attendant, oh. and you can't imagine my joy at remembering the phrase ball attendant for my <laughs> friend Jonathan Holmes, who was on road rules that time. Yeah, so I went up the arcade, 
There's quite a few good machines. I tell you what, though, the prevalence of arcade machines that are just mobile games now. They're just the shit you can get on mobile. Which really, I guess, brings us full circle, because the arcade was the original microtransaction. Yep. So yeah, it, it, it's all right up there. You know, there, there have been better arcades throughout human history. Sure. They ain't bad. You know, little one up the mall. You know, Katie played some skee-ball, rather. Oh, I like me some skee-ball. Yeah, little skee-ball, little basketball stuff. Minions football. You just keep oh, a ball every, a little model minion on a on a rotating merry-go-round thing. Mm. That ain't nothing. Yeah. They got, I think they have got a House of the Dead. And one of those sit-in things like... Uh, 4D Escape, but for The Walking Dead, if anyone's interested. Hmm. I played the Silent Hill one when I went to Tokyo myself that one time. It was shit. Mm. Really shit. Anyway, that was what I did up the arcade. I mostly spent the day complaining about my feet hurting and my back hurting and the ramen being too spicy and losing my card and the pinballs being rigged. Wow. One swipe. <laughs> I know he's listening because he's editing this. Justin, you're a little shit. <laughs> <laughs> have any of you played anything else or should we get onto news for a little bit we move i mean i conrad's played his one game yep you know i'll do do we want to talk about fucking scott cawthorn i tell you what right right personally i'm all full up thanks I've chowed into that one and i'm all full up but don't let me stop you because if if there's some conservative outrage to go around, uh, I wouldn't mind you shouldering some, folks. All I will say is, <laughs> hey, hey, don't fucking try and suggest that the Democrats would have been somehow worse for LGBT people. I mean, yeah, look at no. what fucking DeVos did on the way out the door. Yeah. Just that one spite move against trans people. Hey, 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 by the way, I actually voted for Trump. For your sake, gay people, I mean, you can thank me moment. for that. I, I, I know better than you. You, you should be thanking me. Oh, now let's make veiled references to the enemies of America. <sighs> and I'm gonna say, I'm gonna, I have one thing to say about this, and and that's leave him the fuck alone. Yeah. Just leave him the fuck alone. Yeah. I don't know who thinks they're getting some benefit out of issuing a death threat to Scott Cawthon or, you know, how it makes you feel better. But guess what? You're only making it worse. You're making it seem less okay to be critical of him. Yeah. You are not helping. Even if some of what he's funded is basically a financial death threat. Yeah. 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 That may be true, but... Those aren't legally actionable. No, it doesn't. It don't fucking help. The threats don't help. No. Suffice to say, he fucking sucks. Yes. Yeah. I'm just saying, I really tried to like point out literal things that were happening with actual reports from, and often from the turf's own mouth, and they still tell me I'm lying and exaggerating. You did it perfectly, but here's the thing. They don't fucking care. That's the problem. Yeah. It has been the problem for the last decade. It will continue to be the problem for a while. It's so easy. It's so easy to think none of this is a big deal when you literally don't even know a queer person. As someone who has been beating this drum for the whole time I've been, I've been publicly out, it doesn't matter how many literal stories you point to and go, hey, here is the source for my claim. This is what's happening. You will still get responses of... That's probably not that bad. People think I'm literally replacing my hormones for a joke. Yeah. Slash my career. Ha! 
Tongue! Slash kudos. Scott Cawthorn can go fuck themselves. Anyway, there's more news. More news. Oh, God. You know how Cyberpunk got pulled off of the PSN store pretty quick after it went up because the console ports of that game were broken pieces of shit? Yeah, sold on a lie. Yeah, so here's the thing. It is finally going back up on PSN soon. Dot, dot, dot. Sony has put a caveat to this. Uh Uh-oh. They're not preventing it being sold on the base PS4. I don't know if they have the ability to do that or not. But they have said in the, 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 the PSN listing... We strongly recommend you do not purchase this for the base <laughs> PS4. Only purchase it if you have a PS4 Pro or PS5. Which suggests they've not fixed it. They've fixed it for, like, the Pro version. They're like, I mean, look, if you've got a PS4 Pro, it'll probably be fine now. Brilliant. <laughs> so. I love video games. They're so good. It's a good industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good industry. It treats its work as well. Yeah. And you you feel... What I love most about the game industry is if you work for, like, the mainstream industry part of it, is you feel very ethical. <laughs> E3, not really much came out of it. It was dull. It was dull. I, I did want to have my little... This is not a confirmed thing, but I have a, I have a running theory I need to get out. So, Ubisoft did a press conference. They're shit. Their abusers do not support them or any of the shit they work on. Now be careful, you'll lose subscribers. Uh, <laughs> um, that's what I think of that. <laughs> Just do a Brum impression. <laughs> Um, so I have a theory that I just want to get out there. I'm pretty sure that Beyond Good and Evil 2 is fucking dead. Yeah. Oh, Michael Ansel's gone. I'm sure it's dead. Yeah, this is the, this is the thing. So it didn't show up at E3 this year, and I think that that makes sense, because for the last, like, 15 years that this game has been a thing people have talked about, Michel Ansel was very, very open about the fact he was the only person at Ubisoft who gave a fuck about that project. Like... Every time, like, he talked about it, it was like, ah, oh, Ubisoft, uh, fight me tooth and nail, but I want this one to happen. And first of all, like, there's no evidence of this, but it really fucking feels like Ansel probably left because of the internal investigations that were happening at Ubisoft, because you don't get your dream project finally greenlit after 15 years, the thing you've been begging them to let you make, and then just leave to, to run an animal sanctuary halfway through. That's, um... Suspicious behaviour. Craig. Craig, no animal sanctuaries. No, we'll go with the coffee shop when we fuck off. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Um, but yeah, when he left, they stopped doing live streams and talking about updates. They cancelled the demo that was going to be coming yeah. out. They cancelled the convention that was going to be happening around it. I'm convinced that game is dead. I'll say this probably for the best. Honestly, at this point, I mean, the butchery they were already planning to do with it, the live service shit, like, modern day Abusisoft just was not interested in the kind of game that the first game was. I feel like it is is a real case of, we sunk so much money into this and it still looks like just an empty tech demo. Yeah. And the person who was begging us to make it is gone, why are we still doing this? But... On the plus side, Ubisoft could still use it as a carrot to dangle in front of fans to get them to buy other things like they were doing with Rayman and Beyond Good and Evil HD. Uh, I believe we call that withholding. I think it's an abuse tactic. 
So yeah, really fits in with their corporate message. Beyond Good and Evil 2 is like accountability, not a T3. Do you want Beyond Good and Evil 2? Well, buy the Avatar game we're making. <laughs> I saw a trailer for that and I'd forgotten that Ubisoft had the license because they, they published the last terrible one. That's a Ubisoft one. I started the trailer, immediately saw the Ubisoft logo and was like, oh, okay, bye. Saves me time and money. We streamed that conference with the sound turned off and all I did was spend a literal hour reading articles about abuse at Ubisoft. Thank you to everyone who stuck around for me having a rant hour. That was a fun time. Well, you know. Yeah, I think that's honestly it for news. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll quickly run through the E3 things I saw that interested me. Yeah, go ahead. Plague Tale Requiem. Oh, yeah. More Plague Tale. Happy with that. Atomic Heart. Oh, yeah. As the original Atom Heart Mother, I am very into that. And it looks fucking absurd. Mannequins and robots and shit dancing around. It looks ridiculous. It's like if that 3D dancing baby from the 90s had grown up and thought the way it looked that would be the game they'd make. Mm. I'm into that. Oh, I got one that want to shout out. Yeah. We are OFK, which is one of those sort of choose how the narrative unfolds kind of games. Really mm-hmm. lovely art style about the trials and tribulations of teenagers trying to make music together. Oh. It seems really neat. The The visual style's really cool. The music in the, the that has been shown off for it has been really good. I'm real intrigued by it. I need to look up the names I've sent to Conrad because I now can't remember all of the things that were memorable from E3. I remember nothing I saw over over E3. Yeah, I can walk you step by step how to do a power slam. I mean, that's important to remember. You might hurt someone if you do that wrong. Well, yeah, you've got to be safe. You know, fucking left arm on the back, left arm of theirs over your left shoulder. Reach down, right between the legs, hello. Lift them up. Turn them round, move your arm, slam. They showed off Elden Ring. It looks like a fucking Dark Souls. It'll probably be a Dark Souls. I will probably have time with it when it happens. I'll have a good one. Yeah, I keep sort of forgetting Elden Ring's existence. Yeah. And I think it's just because I'm, you know, I'm going to get it because I like From Software. So it's, I think my brain's just be like, mm, we'll care about it when it's out. I saw the trailer. It looked like Dark Souls, but you could do combat sometimes while on the back of a horse. Yeah. I'm, I'm there for that. Did either of you watch the Devolver one this year? I did. I did watch the Devolver one. What did you think of Devolver this year? In terms of things that they could do to, like, raise the stakes or whatever for the Devolver cinematic universe thing. Yeah, I don't think that was possible. I think they'd gone, jumped the shark on that. And, and I really respected, like, just killing it in the first minute. I think they made a wise move by killing it and starting something fresh that they have room to escalate over three or four years on again. Yeah, I don't even know that this is going to escalate. I think I think it's going to continue to just be this kind or or it could go into another different direction entirely but this doesn't feel like something that even needs iteration on i don't know i think they'll escalate but i think it'll escalate in a different way it's not going to be fountains of blood it's going to be a different kind of something yeah it was fine there were some good jokes um the non-fuckwithable non non-fuckwithable tape they got me with that they 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 got me with the punchline there yeah it was that was not not bad um Demon Throttle, the the last game they showed, the physical only. I mean, it looks fine. I'm just, I was sort of bothered by the way that they presented it as 
a physical only title, which I, I just think is such a a backwards thing to actually do. So there's two parts to this. They are not the only company who this week during E3 tried to make physical only releases of limited run indie games a thing. Mm-hmm. This was more of a communication issue on Devolver's part, I think, than than anything else. Oh, yeah, yeah. They presented this as part of a presentation of, here's a single tape that will be gone when it's sold, and here's a limited run of very expensive suits, and here's a game that's only going to be physical. And they made it sound like it was a scarcity thing, and got people panic buying, when... We now know in hindsight they're going to have pre-orders open for six months and they're going to produce to order. So you've got six months to decide if you want to buy this game. Yeah, no, that's that's still a problem for me. Yeah, it's still a problem, but it's not... One of the problems was a messaging one. Um, Yeah, so alongside this, Super Rare Games did the same thing as well. Uh, They announced they were going to start doing physical-only runs of games. And... The pushback they got was, and I think that a lot of this also applies to Devolver, this is terrible for long-term ability to purchase things. This is this is not good for curation. It's going to eventually, no matter how long you keep it open for, it's going to eventually lead to scalping and bullshit, and it's not great. No. Super rare games for their part have turned around and said, we hear your feedback. What they're what they're going to do now is have it be their games be physical only for a year and then put them up on itch for sale. That's a solution. I accept that. Yeah. Uh, Devolver has made no such movement that their game is just going to be physical. It's a neat looking game, but yeah. Yep. Um, Well, I'm not going to wind up playing it probably. Yeah. Or if I do, I, you know, it'll be, you know, some other way. Yeah. Yeah. There's one game I got my eye on. Yeah. In Culinati. Mm. It looks neat. I just want to play it already. <laughs> it looks great. Yeah, it's like side scrolly strategy game. Combat looks a little uh, Darkest Dungeon, but it's, you know, it's more strategy focused. I'm not normally into strategy unless it's got a good gimmick and medieval style drawings in a book that move around and are like rabbits and donkeys uh, with stuff. Like, yes, I very much like the look of that one. This is one of those ones where it's like, this looks great. I feel like I've seen it every E3 for the last five years and I kind of don't want to think about it till it comes out. Uh-huh. I think I've I've missed this one in the past then. It's been around for a while and it's teetered over the edge into I get annoyed when I see it now, which I dislike that that's a thing because it's a really neat looking game. Well, in that case, I saw Black Tail as well. That one had my interest. That's first-person shooter bow and arrow game. And it's been a little while since the bow and arrow craze was a thing in games. And this looks really fun, like really weird sort of fantastical enemies and looks real fast-paced for a bow and arrow game. I like it. It's got a sort of old fairy tale look to it. And, you know, Back for Blood looks interesting. Well, it looks like Left 4 Dead, and I'm happy with that. There were quite a few games that tried that shit this year. I'm much more likely to check that out now I know it's going to be a Game Pass title day one. Mm. That's going to be an easier sell for me to get other people to pick it up with me. Yeah. But I can't remember the names of any of the others, which probably says a lot. Well, it could say a lot about them, but it also could just reaffirm things about me. There's a couple games that seem to be of that, you know, asynchronous multiplayer that looks and plays like Left 4 Dead. Uh, plus there was that Evil Dead game, which was similar. Yeah. Multiplayer only, I mean, not usually my thing. 
unless it's really good. But I really like Evil Dead. And it looks like you can be Evil Ash in it. And I'm perfectly happy with being Evil Ash. That should be all right. I mean, it looks janky, but it doesn't look much, you know, any more or less janky than the Friday the 13th one. People like that one. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, we saw some interesting things in amongst yeah. all of the the stuff. I paid a lot more attention to the smaller games this year. Honestly, the, the indie presentations are always the most interesting bit of E3 at this point. Yeah. I mean, I'm not watching a six-hour indie presentation, but I will... I will troll uh, for the interesting trailers. Replaced was an interesting looking one. After the last couple of years, I would recommend next year. The thing's worth watching. The Gorilla Collective streams are always worth watching. The Wholesome Direct is always worth watching. Those are really the places where I got most of my games that I was intrigued by this year. It doesn't even feel like a show or an event anymore. Like it's, and that's in part due to, you know, the incidents of last year and, and COVID and that sort of carrying on and realizing, hey, we don't have to fucking do that. Sony just not bothering anymore. They can't be fucked. And <laughs> right. Fair enough. Maybe they don't want their staff doxxed. The uh, ESA through E3 doxxed thousands of attendees uh, one year and backdated a couple of doxings for other years as well. Yeah. So I'm not, uh, I have no interest anymore because even the spectacle, that was something I could laugh at. I could be like, oh, fuck, are they really going? But now there's no spectacle. You know what happened this year? I I missed the, the ridiculous spectacle. Microsoft's conference, they had a Forza game revealed, and I was like, okay, you're going to wheel out a real, a real physical car that no one watching this will ever afford. Go on, pull out the car for no reason. No, they didn't show us the ridiculous car no one could afford. I missed it. Where's my spectacle? Yeah. So, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm over it. I, I, I agree with you, Steph. The way to yeah. consume E3 now is to just check the feeds yeah. the next day. I, I will say this. Uh, Ryan Brown on Twitter does a phenomenal job of one-line tweet and screenshotting all of these conferences. Oh, and and he has been a uh, tremendously useful resource for me in all of this. Uh, I have watched very few presentations. I like it that way. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, you're doing God's work uh, at Toad's Anime on Twitter if you're not following him already. Yeah, yeah. Well worth following. Good, good follow. When E3 started this year, I realized just how much I hate games. <laughs> and I was angry at how much games made me hate games. I'm really angry. I'm gonna be the person here who's who's less less defeated. You're young. I don't even know if it's that. It is. <laughs> it is. You once you <laughs> once you reach our heady ages, you'll realise that video games are a waste of time and people should go outside and play a real guitar instead of guitar hero. <laughs> video games are a waste of time, but I did find some really cool games and I played a bunch of games as a result and I had a week where I immersed myself in being like, oh, hey, what's what what's, what the industry been making? And then I played a bunch of cool stuff. I don't hate video games. I quite like them. I'm hollow. E3 this year, and that might be this upcoming uh, positive Jimquisition topic, all happy and hopeful. I really think I'm burned from like the inside out now. Everything inside me, body and soul, has been raised to the ground. So I look forward to that on Monday. I mean, eventually, this industry makes hollow husks of us all. It's just, it started with Ubisoft this year. It started with mm -hmm. Ubisoft getting just, just a reminder that no one wants this industry to change. 
No one cares. The people who are in the best position to hold bad actors accountable won't because of their precious access. I was just so disillusioned. Couldn't even enjoy Di Devolver Digital. You know, they can be very smug about the game industry's monetization, but mm, full guys. Yeah, well, and this is something we talked about a little bit on Monday night too, is that I think, I think it is a mistake to view Devolver as something other than a corporate entity. Yeah. I don't, no, I'm just saying it, it rings really hollow. No, but they're, they're, they're very savvy. I can't help but remind people of the company's origins as a group of guys in executive positions in publishing who thought they recognized a market niche. Sure. Yeah. To exploit. Like, that's, that's what this company is. These things that they're saying, they're saying them because they are true. And if that pisses you off, good. But that doesn't mean that they're good guys. I think they're better than some guys. I know as well as anyone who cares to admit it that corporations aren't your friend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know Devolver Digital are not, you know, on the, on the ground fighting the good fight or anything. But the hypocrisy takes the sting out of it now. Yeah. Yeah. The sting they had, like, even if they're right, I can't rally behind it, mostly because, you know, well, I already say this shit. Sure. Yeah. You know. It, it is what it is. I just... <sighs> I only care about pinball and pro wrestling. E3 is terrible and there are parts of it I hated. There are parts of it that were not fucking worth sticking around for. I like E3 still. Oh, look, no one's on trial here. I'm just saying I'm dead. No, no, no. I'm no not, I don't think I am. I'm just saying I, I still enjoy it for the big mess of capitalism that it is. And I'm Michael Corleone in Godfather Part 3 every time I think I'm out, you know. I get some thought in the back of my head, oh, but this would make a really good game. Maybe you could, you know. And I, I can't seem to escape it mentally. Like, I can't flee. And I know it's horrible and will only destroy me in the end. I'm of this opinion, like like I said earlier with Elden Ring, it's like there are, there are you know, I enjoy playing video games. Yeah. But I'm at this point now where it's like, I, I don't need them yeah. or the bullshit attached to them. And B, I just don't get excited for them. No. Like, if a good game comes out, I'm like, okay, let's check that out. I'm not, oh, I can't wait. Oh, the hype. Oh, the, like, I can't summon it anymore. I'm just done. I'm too beaten down. I don't get excited about them, but, like, I cannot deny that carefully crafted... Marketing materials designed to make the serotonin ding in the brain do the thing they're intended to do sometimes. Of course. And I, you know, people who are still, you know, excited or whatever by E3. God bless you. Well, yeah. I really enjoyed Nintendo Direct this year. As I always do, I like a good Nintendo game. They have properties I like. I watch 40 minutes and go, yep, you're making more of the video games I like. Cool, nice. Up there's, though, for locking that functionality behind an amiibo. Quality of life improvements in your remasters behind amiibos, and it's a, like the remaster makes it even worse in a way. Yeah. I don't miss being of the age where I was capable of being excited by these things because I was a fucking idiot at that age, but I do miss feeling like there's hope. And I can I mean, be excited about it. It struck me that, like, even when I did care more, 
I've always viewed E3 as a work obligation. Sure. Yeah. Part of it is I don't like having to be in a place at a time. I'm very casual. I be- I very much like to, oh, you know, I'll I'll swing by. I don't like, here is a press conference. It must be covered live. I enjoy it more as a social thing with other people than I do myself. Yeah. I'm less interested in sitting and watching E3 by myself and watching all the things and personally being excited or let down or whatever, but... You put me in a big enough group of people, I will ride the emotional wave for a bit. I will I will get excited when a cool looking thing is happening. I will turn off the sound and make up fake interviews while the bad shit's going on because we all know it's terrible and I'll just enjoy the weird shared experience that it is. I used to enjoy the Twitter snarkathons, you know. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. I used to spin lots of gold um, during those. That's what live streaming E3 sort of was for me this year. It was just a different take on the Snarkathon. And I had fun doing it. I did a stream this week during E3, (laughs) almost as if to show my contempt for games. Uh, I managed to get two... I'm going to do it again. I'm going to get more of these. It's fucking content gold. I didn't lose any viewers. In fact, it was one of my better sort of performing streams. Like, it did really well. All I did was open two packets of Skeleton Warriors trading cards. (laughs) Fucking brilliant. Uh... And then I showed them again on Conrad's stream. Oh, it was a spike. An instant spike in viewership. Hell yeah. They're so good. I need to get some photos and put them online. I want them blown up and put on my wall. The one of the skeleton getting punched in the face is so good. But yeah, like, I, I just open cards on stream. I just can't. Maybe that's what you do now. Yeah, maybe you just open cards. I'm going to try it again, legit. See what happens. But yeah, uh, that's, I mean, that's E3 for you, isn't it? Is there anything else anyone saw at E3 that was interesting to them? That's, that's the stuff that jumped out to me. Uh, I'm good. Okay. Uh, okay. It's not all games. No. Sometimes there is books. Oh, yeah, there are sometimes. Yeah. Laura gave a cheeky little spoiler <gasps> for the end plugin. Oh, oh, fucking spoilers for adverts. What do you think this is? Leaking E3 announcements. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck anyone who calls those things spoilers. You, you rules of capitalism, you. I had someone tell me it was a spoiler to tweet the fact that Nintendo would uh, announce one of Ubisoft's things before they count the conference started. Spoilers. That's been a thing since, for for about 10 years, I think it was like, it was certainly I was working at Destructoid when I first saw an E3 leak referred to as a spoiler, and I just thought, fuck off. Anyway. I got books. Yes, that's something that can't be spoiled. It's a rather excellent book launch. Yeah, that's the main thing I'm going to talk about today. Hey, you should go check out Gender Euphoria. It's a book that's about non-cis people sharing their positive, real-life, gender-affirming, nice, happy, good-time stories. Because discussion of trans stuff is pretty fucking bleak right now. So just read a book about a lot of people having good experiences and feel a bit better about the world. All the reviews of it have been really good, so you should go check it out. Reviewers seem to like it. Gender Euphoria. It's out now. I wrote the foreword. I'm admittedly in pen on my copy. And I wrote bum. <laughs> Uh, um, congratulations on the reviews and the launch. I am, I'm really happy. I'm proud as hell of you. I'm real proud of this one. I'm real happy with how it's turned out. I feel real good about it. Mm. Yay. I've got other stuff, but that's the main thing this week. Comrade, what do you do? Uh, well, you can um, follow me on Twitter and uh, now somewhat Instagram. Ooh. 
I didn't hear you had an Instagrams. I I posted to my Instagram stories. I'm going to first time ever the other day. I have been told that Instagrams where all the kids are. That sounds bad. That sounds real bad. Okay, I've been told. Actually, yeah, let's linger on what you just said. It's okay, Conrad. (laughs) The kids haven't been there for a while. Oh, good. Thank God. Um, You could also buy anti-capitalist propaganda. Oh, did I say at Conrad Zimmerman? That's where it is. You could also buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com or audiobooks at conradreads.com. Got a new audiobook coming real soon down the pipe. And everything I do gets uh, supported online at Patreon, patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Why, it's James Stephanie Sterling. James Stephanie Sterling. Hello, everyone. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition, rather. It's the tw- it's the Twitch that's Jim Sterling. So patreon.com slash Jimquisition, Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. That's about it. Uh, obviously, 7 p.m. Eastern, Laura's doing a pre-show on my channel, at uh, Jim Sterling on Twitch. Uh, what could that be for? Well, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, Rise Returns, the company for which I'm general manager and soon to be two-time champion regent. Thank you very much. And... The 17th, Thursday, today when this goes out, 8pm Eastern, enjoy wrestling on YouTube. Uh, Can't Heat, season two, starts, and I start my enjoy career. So, good. That's that. All right? Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye.